welcome to Employee of the Month. Here's your host, Katie Lazarus. Welcome back to Employee of the Month. I'm your host, Katie Lazarus, and I am ridiculously excited for our guest today. I don't know what to call a platonic war crush, but I couldn't have a bigger one if I tried, and I'm not even trying. I just have it on Alex Borstein, our guest today. And the reason that crush is there is because of who she is as a human. And also, she's just hysterical. Um, You've probably heard her as Lois, amongst other voices, on Family Guy, which she also wrote for and helped produce and is still highly, highly involved in, as well as Shameless, which she is writing for, which is another fabulous show. And you can currently see her in TED on the big screen. She was also on Mad TV for a long time and has been in 973.2 films, more or less, uh, including Catwoman. Um, So I'm excited to give you a peek into Alex Borstein. It was really lovely to sit down with her and hear about her work. And uh, if you hear scratching, that is my dog. Maybe it's just me who hears the scratching. I'm at my sound booth at home in New York and I'm with my dog, Lady Parts. She was Lady. I adopted her and she was named Lady. Well, I went on Pet Finder. Well, first I went on OkCupid and then I just got so stressed out. I was like, I can't handle this. So then they had an ad for Pet Finder. So when I was on OkCupid, I was like, I can't handle this. So I went to Pet Finder and I went crazy. I was looking at dogs all day long. That's all I was doing was looking at dog pictures at work. It it was really like that borderline moment where you know that you are one click away from being on a reality show and a really bad reality show. And that's hard because most of them are bad. So this is a deeper level of insignificance in the world and and a sad 15. It's it's like a negative 15 minutes of fame. Like there's no way you can ever reclaim those 15 minutes and everyone will just know you for those. Anyways, it was very sad, but I found this beautiful, beautiful dog. I adopted her and I love her to pieces, but it was really hard as a feminist to have a dog named Lady, like Lady and the Tramp. (sighs) Okay, there are a lot worse names. It could have been Tramp. That that could have been possibly harder. So she's named Lady. I didn't feel comfortable renaming her. I've had her for five years. I know people rename their dogs all the time. I don't have any judgment about it. You have to live with it. But she responds, so I didn't want to touch it. And then I started noticing that she opens her legs for everyone. If there's any way she can get possibly petted, she'll do it. We were in the middle of the street, walking across the street in Manhattan. She stops, sits, rolls over so that a stranger can pet her. And I was like, shut your legs, shut your legs. And that was when I realized, when I had that instinct, was that she's really Lady Parts. That is who she is. So that's her porn name, her bowling name, and also what we just call around the house in these parts, Lady Parts. Um, So if you hear her, or if you don't, but you're just wondering who is that sweet-eyed other woman in the uh, sound booth, that's Lady Parts. I know you guys are probably thinking about that right now. Okay, I think it's time for our interview with Alex. It was such a treat. We recorded it in her home in Southern California. And without further ado, please welcome Ms. Alex Borstein. So Alex Borstein, you have been, I think most famous for being Lois on Family Guy, but you also, well, first of all, you were just in a movie that just premiered, Ted. Yes. And you've been in Catwoman. You um, wrote for Pinky and the Brain. You were a major star on Mad TV. Well, that's kind of an oxymoron, but... Uh, well, what's it like winning the very prestigious Employee of the Month Award? Um, it's it's very exciting. I think when you're self-employed, as I am, it's especially... It, it's really an achievement. Well, you're welcome. Because there's no ladder, specifically, that I'm able to climb, and there's no one else's path I can emulate. It's just... It's up to me to pave my own path, and... To get an award on top of that is, it's just magical. That makes me happy. And this show is all about uh, work. So let's start talking about um, your childhood. Grew up in Chicago. I grew up in a suburb of Chicago. I was born in Highland Park, Illinois. Which is a very fancy Jewish suburb, right? I don't think it's fancy. Okay. Just um, Jewish. I don't even know how Jewish it was. Then we were, That was the hospital I was born in. I lived in Deerfield. Is that also in Chicago? Yeah, suburb, north. and But then when I was um, still pretty little, by most people's standards, we moved to Los Angeles. You're still technically little, but you mean when you were around 10, 8, 9, 10? Yeah, okay. and uh, basically my mom was like, if I have to fucking 
dress or undress children for the winter one more time, I'm going to blow my fucking head off. So goodbye, Galoshes. She was done. We all moved out west. And were your parents also performers or creative? No, my parents are just crazy, like chihuahuas. So we like to refer to them as they're neurotic little Jewish people. Um, they're both therapists at this point. My dad is a psychologist and my mom is in, is it called an MFCC? She did that a little later in life, but they're both family. I think that's what it is. Yeah. Family child counseling. Is this going to be too much information? If I say that I met a writer the other day and I said that I was interviewing you because I was saying explaining for employee of the month and I'm excited. I'm going to interview Alex Borstein for it. And he goes, Oh, Borstein. Her father is my, uh, Family therapist. <laughs> there you go. It's happened a lot. My, my dad got around for a while. He, he, he handled a lot of people that worked in the industry and um, and just, you know, a lot of other people. He also worked for the VA and he works, works with a lot of uh, veterans. Oh, nice. He said that he helped keep his family together. So that's oh. a success story. Well, unless they all ripped each other's eyes out afterwards. Yes, but, yes. Um, or still. Yeah, so they're both shrinks and uh, my mom's done a few things, but... The latest, her she's she's a therapist as well. They're both retired now, although my dad still dabbles. In therapy. In therapy. He still does some work with some veterans, and I think he might have a couple clients, but... I have this image of him, like, going in for, like, a 10 minutes of a session. And That's like, right. Ah, I'm it's done. three minutes. You're fine. Stop complaining. I'm out. I got a tea time. But I was curious because I know you all often talk about Seth MacFarlane being such a trained singer but in addition to being a comedian and a writer and a voice actor you're also a fabulous singer and even in Ms. Black Swan the new short I saw you're quite good at dance I thought I'm a ballerina <laughs> yes if you saw um Ms. Black Swan which, you which I'm on. so glad you did oh it's so funny because that was um something that just me and my husband we decided this would be really funny let's shoot this and he directed it and we just goofed around and we but you are really class. good on point. And it's quite dark. I recommend people go see it. If you go to alexborstein.com, you can see Ms. Black Swan in addition to the King's Speech Part 2. Or you can buy her album, Drop Dead Gorgeous, in a down-to-earth bombshell sort of way. Um, but you were actually good on point. Did you grow up dancing? You know, I took lots of ballet growing up, but I'm absolutely cheating in that. I mean, I can get up and do a little, you know... A little tiny releve, and but but a lot of the tricky stuff. I was holding onto a bar and cheating a little bit. I was still very impressed because I did toe as a kid, and there's no way I could do that now. It's pretty awful. And the older you get, and like the bigger your tits and your stomach and your ass get, then that's all that weight just hammering down onto one toe. It's it's just too painful. It's not advisable, <laughs> but it was it was fine for the for the little short that we made. But did you grow up uh, wanting to be a performer? Did you grow up dancing and taking acting lessons and, and music and singing? You know, I was always just loud. I was, um, I was always, uh, I have two older brothers, and one of which, you know, always had this kind of medical condition that took a lot of attention away from mm-hmm. everything, the family. I was kind of the comic relief and was just always loud and kind of funny. And really, I started performing like at Passover Seders. That was the beginning of my performing career. And was it encouraged or was it something that you would just instinctively do it was absolutely encouraged i mean uh my folks thought it was a riot and they thought it was hilarious and oh look at this and she'll do this and i just had a filthy mouth and would say things inappropriately and i think the first my mother the story my mother tells of the first thing i ever said was and i think my brothers coached out of me um a lady came up to me in the bat in a buggy and like pinched my cheek and i said you're so full of shit your eyes are brown (laughs) Don't touch me. How old were you? I don't know. Wait, but, I uh, don't touch me. Don't don't touch me, lady. I don't like it. And then you're so full of shit, your eyes are round. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I started early with uh, being filthy. And but that's incredible. Shock humor and uh, because it's funny. And my mom thought it was really funny. She 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 encouraged my bad behavior because she thought it was funny and interesting and it was something she could never do. You know, because she, she never got to so act g- out. Genteel. And, she seems like such a lady. You yeah. Know. You know, she was um, born in Budapest and, and you know, most of her family was wiped out by the Holocaust and just this dark, heavy upbringing. And then she was forced to be an adult so early. And so she never really got a chance to express herself or be free. Or, so she loved for us to be that way. And, 
On Wikipedia, it lists, it says Alex Porcine was raised of Jewish descent. It sounds as if you were raised by these Jewish settlers who it <laughs> used kidnapped to, you. And it used to say she's Jewish, she's half Jewish and half Spanish, which oh, makes me laugh like, well, they're, they're two different things. One's actually a religion. Anyway. <laughs> right. uh, Entirely possible to be both. Yeah. Wikipedia is a mess, but. What is that like having your name, you know, being written about and it may or may not be true and, and um, being famous because you are in films and you were on television. What's it like? It's usually f- kind of funny because it's, it's always a little slightly off or there's always something a little bit wrong, but there's most of it's right. You know, it's a little bit alarming that so much of, um, yeah. How does that happen? Though? Life's just out there. I don't know. It's strange. Like, Nine times out of ten, any interview I, I do, someone says, so I read that John Malkovich was your bus driver. Is that true? No, he he, <laughs> he drove the bus at the school I went to in Chicago at this private Jewish day school. But it, he was never, I never took the bus. But he, but it's just weird. Like, how did people put it together and they figure that out? And then they, it, people have a lot of free time. I think the idea that he is a bus driver. Isn't that is fantastic? Pretty, it's unbelievable. I know. That would be such a better for an Apple commercial too. Creepy dude coming up, picking up your kid. That would be. Yeah, oh no, would totally you let your kid on the bus? No, with John it's Malkovich? like that movie, The Sweet Hereafter. But I was seeing those Apple commercials. Did you see it where he talks to Siri all by himself? I have says, not seen it. It's quite creepy, but it'd be even creepier if he was on the bus asking for directions, like he didn't know where to take the kids. He's wonderfully cool. He's unbelievable. I mean, the fact that I am projecting all of these things onto someone who I don't know because of their acting. Yeah, he's very cool and he's he's, he's like so always so willing to kind of make fun of himself and yes. poke fun at the whole thing of show business or blah blah, which is I just think awesome. Um, I like people who remain that way. You have that too. You have a, a humility um, about you. Is that do you think something intrinsic? Are there the things you do to maintain that? Because you are also around people who don't maintain that. I think it's just low self-esteem. Mm-hmm. If you think you're shit, then you don't ever believe you're anything other. Well, this is good, so that will never change. That's good. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> There's something I can look at positively. I don't know. I think it's just um, cynicism or something. If you if you believe any of that other stuff, then you got to also believe in Santa Claus and the Easter Bunny. and Right. And you know what I mean? You can't have it both ways. And Yes, although I wish I could. Yeah. But... Yeah, I think also being being married to someone who's great that I have fun with and a family that's pretty stable comparatively to, you know, my folks are local and my brothers are in town and kind of having all of that really, I think, helps maybe and ground you. And You met your husband, Jackson, when you guys were at Acme? Yeah. Um, and so that is a sketch... Acme Comedy Theater is similar to Groundlings okay. or but it's Los Angeles City. Based. It's Los Angeles-based. And it's always kind of been the under, you know, SNL and Mad TV, and then it was always Groundlings and Acme. Acme was yeah. always kind of struggling to try to get a name out. It's still it's still there on La Brea in Hollywood in Los Angeles here. Um, what propelled you to join it? Were you doing stuff in college? You know, when I went to college, I originally thought I was going to major in theater. Mm-hmm. And then when I started taking classes, I went, I just thought this is really stupid to major in this hmm. because I just feel like I'm going to waste a whole bunch of money and I don't know what it's going to do for me. And so I decided to switch my major to rhetoric and then that's hysterical. I ended up doing sketch in the dorms. We started a group with some people and doing stand up. Oh, fabulous. So we had this little comedy group, what was which that was, called? it was first, the first name was called the virus, which in San Francisco is, <laughs> Pretty edgy to call your, your comedy group the virus. In the yeah, in the time yeah. Yeah. So um, when I were young, yeah, we had changed it afterwards to twenty. And we didn't change it per se because of flack, but membership changed and leadership changed, and we picked a new name with a new group and called it twenty five percent off. And you know, we performed in the dorms and a couple awesome. places around town, and but it was great. It was the first real sense of writing your material and getting up and performing it. It was That's amazing. And did you, had you done it in high school at all too, or no? I had done some, some drama in the, in drama class, but I was not a huge, huge, I think I went to one festival one year. Um, 
maybe actually I wasn't even allowed to. I think I got yanked because of my mouth. I think maybe ultimately I didn't get to perform in the festival. So did you talk out a lot at school? Were you? Yeah. Yeah. I was um, always a handful. Yeah. I was too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I was a handful. Um, I always had good grades, but then all those cooperation ones were really bad and being mouthy and I couldn't really, it was, it's tough. My Hebrew school report card when I was in second grade said, when Katie is good, she's very good. And when she's bad, she's dot, dot, dot. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much <laughs> kind of like that. And it's, it's tough. It's the kind of the spirit that my mom really wanted to foster. That That's the problem it creates. You know, if you, if you say it's great to be mouthy and I love having a baby who said, you're so full of shit, your eyes are brown. But then it's really hard to unteach that when they get to grammar school and junior high and high school. So so I was I was kicked out of one junior high and had to go to a different one. They called it an opportunity transfer. What was your what what were you kicked out for? I stole a final exam and I made copies of the answers and sold them. Oh, that was at least uh entrepreneurial. Yes, which you know, I made like three hundred dollars and and my mother, you know, was just so <laughs> blinded by she she wants she just wanted so much to to applaud whatever you know I did as right? finding the silver line that she was saying you're going to kick her out and this was so entrepreneurial and <laughs> is that true that you've got never... kids smoking yeah it was it was <laughs> kind of amazing that they you know they were they were pissed but they really supported me on the, on the on the face of it to the school and and then I had to I picked a different school and they transferred me to that school and I had to do my last year maybe a year and a half there but it's neat that they were so validating your family. It it was um, lucky that it worked out in the end that I'm working in this industry. It could have been disastrous. I could have just been. I don't know if it's all luck. Do you think it's all luck? I mean, you really are talented. Um, I think it's I think it's luck, and I think it's also just persistence and just just my inability to accept anything other than yes. Okay, so then, then... I think it's the same gene that my grandmother, like, walked out of line in Budapest to be shot into a pit in the Danube. Like, the same gene that made her just be like, I'm just going to do this and live and survive. It's the same weird... What, what happened to her? She survived. Her My mom was a baby, and she had my her niece with her as well, who was about 10 years old, and they were in line to be shot into a pit. It's like the last of the roundups in Budapest in 1944, and... She just walked up to the guard and said, what happens if I walk out of line? And he said, I don't have the heart to shoot you, but somebody will. And she just did. She walked. She went right back to the apartments that they were rounded up from. She gathered, it was empty, gathered food and any valuables she could get that were left in the building. And then she just walked. I think she walked all the way to Austria. It's unbelievable. It's completely, it's totally unbelievable. But that's what I think. I just kind of think there's a... There's some weird gene of like, it's like a horse. You just don't stop walking until you get where you're going. And and you went back recently to Budapest. I did. I just went back with my mom and my kid. What was that like? It was really amazing in so many ways. It was beautiful. It was so neat to kind of walk the same paths that my mom did and her mom when she was little. And we still have family there. Wow. But we... we encountered some like kind of hairy anti-Semitism that's still really rampant T- there. Tell me about that a little bit, because I remember going to uh, the Czech Republic and my mom is uh, very into Jewish cemeteries. and she's They've got into, a good one. They have good, but it's also so sad to see these decrepit Jewish cemeteries and to see malls that were synagogues and mm-hmm. no longer. Um, what did you see there that you felt? We were, was particularly, um, you know, my mom being from there is, she speaks very fluently. My Hungarian's okay. And um, we were in a taxi being driven down a pretty big, nice street there. Um, I think it's called, the translation, St. Stephen's Street, um, St. Istvan, it's called. And we saw some activity up in the front. We saw some police lights. And we're like, oh, it's going, it looks like a, a protest or something. How interesting. And we rolled our windows down as we got closer because we wanted to see what it was. And just in time, we heard the crowd chanting, filthy Jew. Filthy Jew. And like, oh, shit. We just <laughs> immediately roll the window back up. And it Are was you alarming. Like, Am I dirty? No, I'm just kidding. It was alarming. <laughs> yes. Like, yes. as much as I'm Family Guy and whatever I have done stand up wise, where I use, you throw this word around, you say kike, you say, 
wop, you know. You, yes. In comedy, everything goes. and no, To actually hear someone using that word and term, angry and yelling at someone openly on the street without any shame is... It's jarring. It was really alarming. It's probably one of the most jarring things I've ever heard. And I, I mean, I was assaulted by a skinhead as a kid. I definitely faced horrible anti-Semitism in the U.S. in that specific incident. But to have a group of people cheering like you're talking about in public. Filthy you know, Jew. And we both kind of, I'm like, I know that. I think I know it was just, you know, roll the window. Up. And my mother literally broke out in a sweat. Like she yes. had a physical reaction to this fear welling up. Um, it was a little bit scary. You know, the taxi driver was nervous and we found out the next day in the newspapers, the guy that they were yelling at wasn't even Jewish. He is just a very liberal guy who's really outspoken about the current government, hmm. which is, I don't know that it's fair for me to say completely anti-Semitic, but it's really getting tight there. Every time things are bad there financially, economically, yes, things go, the gypsies and the Jews and... But the gypsies have never recovered. I mean, they still get to go to school for children who have develop—excuse me—who have developmental delays, like yourself, like me. And yeah. that's how I learned about how the, the gypsies are sent there. Yeah, it's it's um, it's it's tough. But yeah, so basically, you know, there's no difference to them between someone who's outspoken and a Jew to them. You know, yes, anyone who has other ideas might as well be a Jew. But it must also be alarming because it is something you joke about all the time. In your stand-up, on Family Guy. I mean, oh, we, yeah. we just talk about it very breezily and almost like we, meaning our culture, I would yeah. say. Like being in comedy, it sort of comes from a place of entitlement, I think, a little bit. Of like yeah. knowing how lucky we are. Oh, and at that moment, prior to that, we were having these fantasies. You know, this is so beautiful. Maybe we should buy a place here and come more often and... God, it's really, I mean, Europe is amazing and all these languages and it's so yeah. Yeah. wonderful. And they're just, they're just so, so much, so much deeper of people in Europe. In that moment we were like, okay, fuck this. I'm, yeah. I'm so happy to be an American. I'm so <laughs> yeah. lucky I live in America. Take me back to obesity and back. strip malls. <laughs> Seriously. It was like, I don't care. Frozen yogurt and, and nail salons. I'm more than happy. <laughs> It really was. Yeah, it was. Know. It was interesting. It was a. It was eye opening and and uh, feeling the freedom too of you know being in this industry and never never feeling like you can't say you're Jewish or right. You know, it's now starting when you started in the industry. Would you say is at Acme? You know, being part of that. Yeah, Acme community. was kind of the that sketch group. That's where I met my husband. That's where I met my first writing partner, a girl named Erin Ehrlich. Are you guys who, still writing partners? No, we, we have a couple projects we wrote together that are still floating. Oh, good. She now works on a show called Awkward. Oh, neat. Um, she's a writer on that show. She's great. Um, and and yeah, but that was a director. My husband's an actor-director. He was on Gilmore Girls for a while, and, and then he directed some, and now he's directing a show called Bunheads. Yes. Which is... Um, Really cool. By the same creator as Gilmore Girls. Yeah, she's very interesting. It's really good show. Sherman Palladino. Yeah, Amy Sherman. Amy Palladino. Sherman Palladino. Um, but Acme was kind of the beginning. We 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 did that sketch group. It was the same kind of stuff I did in college, but it was much more streamlined, and there was someone running it that said yes or no to sketches, and you. It seemed very competitive. Yes and no. It was also really communal and really. It was very family-like, and people, you wanted people's stuff to be hilarious. And yes. if it was, you just wanted to be cast in it. And I remember uh, you speaking in an interview about spending so much money on wigs that you got. Like, you really cared about each sketch that you did. Yeah, I went totally it. overboard with wigs, because I just love them so much. And uh, so I would always, like, spend top dollar on really nice wigs and put a lock on my cubby. And be like, no one touch my wigs, man. <laughs> <laughs> that asshole. These are my wigs. And of course, that made everyone like, I'm using her goddamn wig just to piss me off. And if you guys are listening and heard the buzzer, that is Alex's personal butler. That's right. Um, so, okay, from there you went to Austin Comedy Festival? Yeah, you know, I got a group of five of us. I submitted to this festival in Austin, Texas. And, like, I had... Honestly, like, I just would always put myself places. I would go to the HBO Comedy Festival... All the time, I wasn't casting. I wasn't Oh, in just it. to watch it. I would go. I would watch. I'd meet people. And that's I met someone there that said, we're putting together this thing in 
Fabulous. Austin, that's going to be sketch. And I was like, that's awesome because that's kind of our specialty. And so I submitted some stuff to them with a group of five of us, including my husband and my then writing partner. Was he already your husband then? No. We were not married then. Um, we were already dating and in love? We were dating. Yes, we were already dating. We got married. He proposed to me while during my tenure on Mad TV. He actually did it on the set in front of an audience, which was humiliating. Um, did you know it was going to happen? No, but I started getting suspicious as the night went on that something was going on. How come? We, we, uh, it was a, we were shooting Christmas sketches and it had been a very trying week and I was supposed to dress up as an elf in a sketch that was starring Nicole Sullivan, who at the time was having these contract negotiations. And at the last minute in the week before doing it, they said, Nicole's not doing her sketch. We want you to come on as Miss Swan. We'll use the same set, write something really quick to take her place. And I did. And okay. And then like, you know, 12th hour, Nicole was back in and they're like, yeah, you're just going to play the elf. And so I was dressed up as this elf. <laughs> Would you have rather totally annoyed? <laughs> I was getting sick. And the next day I was supposed to leave for Chicago to do this weird little sketch show at the time called quick wits. And that night my husband had planned this whole thing with the producers. And so I did the sketch as the elf. And then later in the evening they said, listen, we want to add something to this Mexican wrestler sketch at the end of the night. Can you get back into the elf costume? I was like, are you fucking kidding me? I was so mad on the inside, but on the outside, I was like, sure, sure. I was pretty new and like, okay, I'll do whatever you want. And complaining to Jackson, cussing, throwing things in the room. <laughs> and then I get out there and they're like, here's what's going to happen. You stand on the wings. When it's time for Will Sasso's character, Senor Bag of Crap. Uh, to come on, he's going to request his bag of crap, and we want you to bring it on as the elf. This just doesn't even make sense. Fine, fine. I'm standing there, standing there. And then I kept, one of the assistant directors, the AD and the stagehands, I kept hearing all this hubbub in their earpiece. Is she there? Can she see anything? Is she looking? Is she? That's when I was like, what the hell is going on? Like, this is a prank? or Right, right. But I wasn't sure yet. I was still pretty new to the show, and then they sent me out, and when I got out there... It was a courtroom setting and the judge sitting in the judge's seat bench was my husband, was my now husband, was Jackson banging a gavel saying something really cheesy like, I sentence you to the rest of your life with me, or something like that. Was he often performing on the show as well? He had done a couple bit parts here and there. And did he write for it too? No. Was it odd, or I should, let me ask objectively, what is it like having your husband be in the same business as you? Is it something that's reassuring? Do you feel like there's enough love to go around, or does it ever get competitive? I think it is, in our case, we're lucky that it, how it worked out. We're, we're such different types of performers. Like, we're not both, like, leading movie people. I think that could be hard if you're, like, Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie, and it's like, who's going to have the biggest movie? Or I don't know, but... We've I feel like it would be harder had, if one was like Brad Pitt and the other was not. I don't know. I feel like we're not too Brad Pitt. We're not. We're not both chasing the same exact. We never were. Like yeah, we're both weird little character actors, kind of doing our own thing. And he's now so much more intrigued by directing that it's kind of he's been directing for a little bit. Though. A non-issue, you know. He that's what he always wanted to do. And when he moved to L.A., he kind of got sidetracked by acting. He kind of. In college, he had also done like a sketch thing, and then he came here hoping to direct, produce and direct, and then he joined Acme and yeah. just got very sidetracked having fun. And wasn't until after we got married that he said, I want, I really want to make this happen, and he went back to film school. Oh, wow. That's very interesting. So even after he had had some success, he still went back to school? Yeah, he went to Los Angeles Film School, which... It's, it's nothing fancy, but it's this amazing hands-on program here that you get there the first day and they're like, here's a camera, shoot something. But it's also interesting because it's so confusing as to whether people need MFAs in film or writing or even acting. And so that's also why I find it interesting because sometimes people say, you just learn on the job. You do, but he, he wanted the structure of this course that was like, you need to, your thesis is going to be your short, your, your project that you shoot. And he really craved that structure to getting it done and and it gave him 
access to a crew and it gave him access to all this equipment and and he sat down and wrote this this great thesis called Brown Eyed Girl and shot it and it was great and And it was about that woman that you had said had eyes that were like shit. You're so full of shit your eyes are brown. Everything comes full circle. <laughs> Um, it was kind of a, his thesis was like a, a collegiate kind of broadcast news kind of thing. Oh, kind of his experience when he was in, at Washington State University. And it was really cute, well done, well shot, looked great. And that's what actually got him his first directing gig, which was on Gilmore Girls. He was acting on that at the time. And when he was still going to film school and made this. While he's acting, he's going to film school. Yeah. So explain that to me, too. Like, while you're doing Mad TV, would you say Mad TV was your big breakout? Yeah. Yeah. We, like, going backwards, we I did Acme Comedy Theater. We got to that Austin festival. In the Austin festival, casting people saw us from Mad TV. And even though they're around the corner from where Acme is in L.A., they Isn't had that to see us in Austin. And we got we all five of us in the group got auditions, and I just got really lucky and... That was definitely my, that was the big break. Did you feel like you were lucky or did you feel like I deserve this? I feel like I was ready, like for exactly what they wanted and were looking for. I was totally ready and had been working my ass off to be ready yes. and have all what they needed. But it was also luck that they didn't have a short chubby brunette. And that's really how a lot of those things kind of, they fill out. Okay, we've got the cute blonde girl. We've got the black girl. We've got the big guy. We've got this guy, you know. Right. The, they kind of cast that way and they didn't have anything that looked like me. And the other girl in our group, my writing partner, Aaron, she was a cute blonde and maybe that's why yeah, they but didn't I, pick her and they picked me. So, right. I mean, it, it, certainly for myself as a struggling actor, writer, well, I'm just a writer, but, um, it always feels validated to know, Hey, part of it's luck and part of it's like, be ready when they call. Yeah. I definitely think it was, the characters I did for my audition were ones they hadn't seen before. What were those characters that you did? I know that they, they said don't do too Southern or don't do too Midwestern characters. You know, um, one of them was this British, this old, old, filthy British woman I call the Rainbow Lady, Charlotte, the Rainbow Lady. And one was a very altered version of what be later became Miss Swan. What was that version? She used to be called Mrs. Mrs. Gabor. She's based on my grandmother. That was my grandmother's name. Um, she just was not so apparently Asian, you know, physically before. But maybe that's how she escaped. But the, the same Holocaust. exact, Sorry. exactly, <laughs> same exact uh, character, but just um, different name and different wardrobe. Um, but it is a similar archetype. Like it's, you know, cause people say, oh, I have a Jewish mother. I have an Italian mother and or I have an Asian mother. And it's like, these are universal. Totally. And you know, it's always, um, when Swan first came out, people are kind of like, that's not cool. You can't do yellow face. And it was like, A, there's no yellow face. B, Hungarians are Mongolians. So my heritage is Hungarian Mongolian, which is Asian. So, yeah. so now what would you like to pick apart? Like it's, but it is so completely universal. It doesn't even matter. It's Greek. It's, you know, Miss Swan is very similar to any of the characters that Nia Vardalos brought to life with Greek, my big fat Let's Greek Let's not wedding. diminish her, your character. <laughs> no, you know what I mean. Like, it's the same. It's these... It's I'm just these, insulting my big fat Greek wedding. I'm these kidding. immigrant, these kind of just immigrant, um, pushy, stubborn strong people absolutely a lot of second generation people here come from and, and most of my friends are uh second generation immigrants and also i was gonna say my mom's family is eastern european jewish and they have all these characteristics my dad's family is german jewish and they are as waspy as can be in many ways interesting yeah so i definitely think that some of it just comes from like how did you get here why did you come yeah. here yeah did you run here yes or was it a casual a casual <laughs> escape <laughs> So wait, so what was it like starting Mad DV? You had been a copywriter before that? Yeah, you know, I was working in um, advertising because I figured I always kind of had to have a backup. I never thought it would be just being raised that kind of Jewish upbringing. It's like, this isn't really state. My dad was always leery, like, you know, my Judy, don't push her. What is she? She's going to be an actress. Come on. You know, she's already... 20, 30 pounds overweight. What, what is she going to do? Come on. What? Was that an issue? I mean... Being normal-sized? I, I definitely think... 
I mean, let's be honest. You look at a lot of times acting is it's no different than being an athlete. Most of the women and men in this business work really hard to keep themselves Absolutely. in physical condition to be able to do any role and fit into any wardrobe and look a certain way on camera. And I stayed with a trainer one weekend who does Demi Moore and Madonna. And my cousins let me go to her and she took me for free. And I was eating peanut butter out of her refrigerator at two in the morning. Like yeah. I couldn't handle the discipline. And I, right then I said, I was like, I can't act because yeah. it is a discipline. Yeah. And it's, and that's to keep your, your body as your temple and your muscle. 95% of the people working in the industry are looking to kind of play those roles. And so to, to the layman, like my father, people looking from outside are like, well, what are you kidding? This kid's, she's five feet tall and she's heavy and she's not, you know, classically, beautiful or you know, attractive in that, you know, he just was like, don't, don't get her hopes up. It was more of a protection thing. It sounds cruel, but I think it was, don't be crazy. What is she, how is she going to actually, nice. it's nice that he wasn't sexualizing you. He didn't see you as hot. Only when we made love, <laughs> only when we made love. Um, yeah, no, um, it, yeah, it sounds so mean, but, but I, I, I get his thinking that yeah. it's kind of like just being a realist. And my mother was always just kind of very, blinded by it like she'll grow out of this and that's just chubbiness and but you know but um they always kind of beat it into my head get you know have something to fall back on and that's why I went to college to majoring in rhetoric I thought maybe I'd go to law school and then I went as far as taking the LSATs but then uh buggered out gave it was like I don't want to do this and then what when did advertising instead and got an internship at a small agency and started doing print copywriting. And our biggest client was Mattel, which was Barbie. Yes. So that was. Awesome. Did you write anything for Barbie? I wrote, um, a lot of copy for Barbie's, uh, high end collectible dolls. Oh, nice. Which is kind of unreal. The market that is available for that. Like there are, it's grown women spending $300 on a Bob Mackie Barbie doll. Wow. Like what? Are you, you have shoving it up yourself at night to keep you company? Because that's the only reason I can see. <laughs> it's a little strange. Wait, so did you know how to be a voice actor? You clearly just knew how to be on Mad TV because you were excellent from the beginning. Like, I always think it's odd when someone just suddenly makes a jump to television. Do they know what I to always, do? I think growing up with another language gave mm -hmm. me an ear for things. Um, you know, I grew up with Hungarian, and then I also learned a lot of Hebrew, and... And just having my grandmother's accent around all the time. And I think that really... Will Sassel on Mad TV was the same way. Will is uh, Italian. His parents barely speak English. And I think there's something to growing up with that second language in your ear that gives you the ability to kind of mimic more and do so accents. And so I've always did impersonations of her and, and other people and took to Spanish really well in school. And I think that helped a lot of being able to do impersonations and just I've never mimic. heard about I've never heard that before but it makes perfect sense I grew up speaking Spanish and French and I remember watching I Love Lucy um was when it doesn't speak English and she loved it and I knew that like to do comedy well it had to translate in a way that wasn't going to necessarily be accessible through words yeah and I think there's you grow up with someone who speaks a different language in the house you express yourself wholly with my grandmother I would there, if we came to an impasse of me not knowing what she was talking about or not understanding, we could get through it. And I learned how to be, you know, it's almost like super charades where you're talking with your whole body and you're using particular words that are easier to understand. It, I think it, it, it makes you more persuasive, which is probably why I ended up majoring in rhetoric. But Why did you quit Mad TV? You know, when you signed up, you had a five-year contract. So I really worked to the end of the five-year contract. I left a tiny bit early because mm -hmm. I had the opportunity to do, a, to do a pilot. What was that? It was a pilot that I wrote with this other woman named Maya Forbes, who's awesome. I love her. Uh, it was called Life at Five Feet. <laughs> and I would love to one day get to post it somewhere because I'm still really proud of it. It was really fun. and it's so funny. It was basically Cyrano. It was me... I ended up on um, ghostwriting for this really hot supermodel. Um, Fabulous. Yeah, it was really cute. It was kind of a just shoot me ish kind of a feel, and um, 
the two of them ultimately becoming friends, yada, yada. Uh, but yeah, it was kind of a fun... That's so funny. Really fun. So I didn't... I definitely was done. By the time the five years was over, I was not signing up for anymore. It was a, it was a rough ride. Like after year three, it, it was very political things uh-huh. there. Not competitive, mm-hmm. but political. It was like... Can you describe what that difference is? Because that, that's such a huge part of the industry. The difference is that from what I hear on SNL, it's really competitive and dog eat dog. And you submit and you work hard and you're there all the time and you do it. And people's stuff that gets better responses is getting on and other people fall by the wayside. With Mad TV, they tried really hard to give everyone a lot of fair play. So it was very political and like, well... We know this may have done better at the table read where we hmm. test material out, but so-and-so doesn't have anything this week, so let's not do that. And instead, we're going to do X, Y, and Z. And, and, you know, people who had clearly written, like, the best material and had great things were not put on there. Or the producers so deemed something not hip enough. You know, some of those writers were so brilliant and had such interesting things and a lot of the producers wouldn't put them on because they weren't, they weren't as pop culture-y or they weren't, they were too smart. In my opinion, it was almost like, it was like more Mr. Show or Kids in the Hall type level stuff. And they were like, no, that's not, that's not our voice. That's not our voice. That's not our voice. So it, it was very frustrating trying to do new and different things and being told a lot of times, just do the same thing again. Just do the same thing again. And then when did Mad TV happen? Because it seems like it came quite soon after. Yeah, right Right after we did that Austin festival, which was 97, I got the... 1997. Um, I got the audition for Mad TV. A lot of people thought it was the 18. You never know. Yeah. Um, I got the audition in the summer of 97 and got on the show right at the end of that summer. So it was 97, 98 that I started on Mad TV and Jackson and I got married in 98. Everything happened so fast. It was kind of everything, everything blossomed at once. And, and you then, were quite young. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. You were in early twenties. Well, no, I was mid, mid twenties pushing towards the top. And then, um, yeah, then we got married in 98, and then I was at Mad TV till 2002, and then was doing Gilmore Girls from there. Uh, one of the Was years that fun that, to switch from, from sketch to doing sitcoms? It was really fun, especially Gilmore Girls, because it was one hour, and it felt like real acting. It was like, oh, this is, I've never done this before. This is a real show, and I was yes. really excited, and I originally was cast as Suki in that Yes, yes. But then Mad TV, we didn't know if it was coming back or not, so I auditioned for Gilmore Girls. I got that. Then Mad TV came back, too, and they said, nope, fuck you, you can't do it. And so, so that went to Melissa McCarthy. So then Melissa did it, and um, which really worked out for the best because then they hired Jackson to play the love interest, which I don't think that would have been fun for us to play Interesting. with each other. Like We both are kind of like, that's weird. and At least to be a couple. We could be on something together, but I don't yeah. want to be a couple. We don't want to be a couple on TV. Because um, it becomes this contrived intimacy. I, yeah, it's just weird. Like, I wouldn't, I don't want, that's just, that's my business. That's, you know. Keeping it private. Yes. Yeah. Well, and also keeping the relationship sacred in that sense. Yeah. It just, it just seems like it would be strange. So. Do you feel this need when you're on the red carpet to, like, kiss each other a lot? I find a lot of times I'll see the couples on the red carpet are holding hands and like whispering so much. I'm like, you didn't have time in the car to. Yeah, no, we, we don't do any kissing on red carpets. We usually barely walk down together. Um, you know, and usually there'll be a one moment where they're like, Oh, can we get a picture of you together? And we'll stand next to each other. And but that's nice. Cause at home, but you guys aren't allowed to look at each other in the eyes. Not so at all. It's, a... We are Orthodox Jews at home. We yeah. have separate rooms and we make love through a sheet and, uh, hopefully no one's, believing any of this they're probably listening i'm sure jackson's parents right now who are not Jewish, taking notes are taking notes um so then how did how did mad tv come to be i mean mad to be excuse me how did family guy come to be now i have to edit that out because i sound like i'm 107 and i'm really only 103 take so, two take two how did you switch over to, to family guy from gilmore girls this is one of those things where you say then 
it's kind of who you know. It's it's all about these relationships you make. Mm-hmm. It's so true. Mad TV, while I was there, um, a woman who had helped develop Mad TV, her name was Leslie Collins Small, said, hey, I'm, I'm also developing. We were at this function. I'm developing this late night thing for alternative late night comedy on Fox. I think it's going to be called Family Guy. It's this animated show. Would you, could you do voices? I'm like, yeah, yeah, I can do anything. I'm a horror. I'll do anything you want. Um, she said, great. There's really no money, but you'd be helping us out. And I showed up and did this voice. It was actually a show. I was still doing at Acme comedy theater at the time doing live shows. I was doing this version of a cousin of mine who lives in New York, New York. Her (laughs) name is Aggie and she sounds like this. It's a weird Hungarian New York voice and uh i was doing that on stage at the time and tried that for seth and he was like that's pretty cool but can you speed it up so we kind of tried a few things and i did this with seth in the record booth and then kind of forgot about it and then when it got picked up and became was like it's gonna be a series then fox was like well we're not sure we like her so they re auditioned every every woman on the planet in Los Angeles. What was that like for you? Um, that was crummy. But in retrospect now, if I was the person developing the show, I get it. I kind of get that you're like, listen, they made this little thing on the fly. Why don't we just see what else is out there? They didn't know me, even though I'd been on the show for them for three years at that point or four years, five years. So they knew you. Um, but they still just were like, let's see, maybe there's a name, maybe there's somebody else we want. Maybe there's, um, I mean, they read everyone. I remember at one point going into the office to visit Seth and like Linda Blair was on the couch waiting and like Natalie from Facts of Life, like everyone on the planet was. Well, I mean, so that didn't conjure up any feelings when you see your cleaners is all of a sudden in there, you know, auditioning for your part. That's showbiz, man. And I was still so new to any auditioning or what the process was I kind of was like I guess this is how it goes and and I just crossed my fingers and I got really lucky that Seth pushed for me and why do you think that was because a you're showing a lot of maturity to to not say this is mine but to say this is how the business is I don't know I think I think uh I I mean I, I know I'm sure that I was kind of like what but having never been through that experience before. I think I thought it's their prerogative and we'll see what happens. But And you knew, it sounds like you knew Seth was pulling for you. I thought so. You know, I, I had a, a, a feeling he was pulling for me. And in the end, he, 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 he had this other showrunner at the time named David Zuckerman. I think David was pulling for someone else. I believe they had came down to two voices they were comparing and they like went into the writer's room and played them for them to see, guys, who do you think? And Seth ultimately, I think, pushed saying, I really think that Alex is a better actor. I think, I think she can, her acting ability is going to be better for us in the long run that she'll be able to, to, to have a larger range. And to do this voice doing so many different characters, because it's two things at once that you're doing, it seems like when you're voice acting. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, ultimately I think it, I ended up writing for the show. I ended up I wanted to ask Becoming you about totally that. immersed in it and doing a bunch of different characters. And so now I don't think Seth could imagine it otherwise. I think the other woman would have just been doing the voice of the mom and that's it. And you had written for P- Pinky um, and the Brain and Casper? Yeah, Aaron, that girl I talked about before, my writing partner, Aaron Ehrlich, and I wrote for Casper and Pinky and the Brain. Was that before and... Mad TV? Yes. Okay. Oh, so Mad TV show, wasn't your big break. It was another show called Hysteria, too, that we did that was... That was uh, failed, but which was your first thing that you got? I think Casper was the first one, and that was through when we were at Acme Comedy Theater. The guy who ran that theater, his wife or common law wife, she had done sketch and or writing. His common wife, his common wife of law, yeah, not a lawyer, but a, uh, she she um, ended up writing for daytime animation. She was running Casper, and she would often come to Acme and you know, pluck some talent from there and say, hey, you know, these people seem to write a lot of great sketches. Would you be interested in, in doing a daytime animation? And Aaron and I were like, yes, that sounds awesome. So, this is so cool. And because animation is similar to sketch. You know, it's these short pieces and 
you can be kind of nuts and anything goes. So even more so, it seems because it's to justify doing it as animation. It yeah, you have to be a little over the top. Yeah, to say, well, this is why I needed to do it animated. Yeah, and it and it's it's just it seems to be a good breeding ground for for writers for that. I don't understand how you balance uh, writing and doing the voice. Is it, I guess they're recorded at different times. Yeah. Was it political because they're all, well, I guess you and Seth were the other people who did that too? Yeah, you know, Seth, um, in the early days, first I started as just doing voices. And then at one point in the booth, I was improvising and doing some other stuff. And, and we ended up keeping it and using it. And one of the executive producers at the time, his name is Chris Sheridan, who is probably upstairs right now, um, said, Have you guess ever. Guess who's coming to dinner? Guess who's coming to dinner? have you ever thought about writing? Like, would you ever consider writing for the show? And I was like, yeah, that sounds awesome. And we worked out this deal where I consulted one day a week on Family Guy while I was still on Mad TV. And then during the summers when Mad TV was down, I would go full-time at Family Guy. And, and You've this... never had a break in your career. Yeah, I haven't had a long break since about 96. And then, and then now you're also writing on Shameless. Yeah, now I'm writing for Shameless, which is, I'm, I'm literally now writing for Shameless in the middle of a script. So what's that like? Because that's a complete departure. You know what's interesting? Everything has led to everything else really naturally. Like Family Guy, the structure is you've got this buffoon of a father who does horrible things to his family, but it's hilarious somehow and all is forgiven by the end of the episode. And Shameless has a very similar spine in the way, you know, huh. you've got... William H. Macy's character is this alcoholic loser who really does nothing but screw things up for his family, but somehow it's funny. Somehow there's something redeeming about him, and as an audience, you keep kind of coming back because there's something intriguing about this br brutal love they show for each other. So there's there's actually some a little bit of similarity in getting from one to the other. Um, you know, at first sight, maybe it's not, you know, visible to... to yeah, or, people, or even just logistically, the writing style, I imagine, is a little different. It is really different. And I had no idea if I'd be able to do one hour. This is a one hour... Technically, it's a one hour drama, Shameless is, but it's kind of a dark comedy drama. And I had no idea if I'd be good at it, but John Wells, he had a pretty good idea that I would be good at it. And Where did that come from? How did you guys meet each other? Um... We, it's interesting, uh, here where I live in Pasadena, there's a gentleman who has one of the other lofts in our building. and He just uses it as an office and he's a, a, a movie writer, a feature writer, a very successful feature writer. And he, he and I became friends living here and we would kind of always bounce ideas off of each other and, and talk about things. And he said, God, I would really love to develop something for TV for you. And I was like, I would love for someone to develop something for TV for me. And well, think about what kind of character you'd like to play. Think about, and I thought about it and kind of came up with this arena and pitched it to him. And it was a little shred of, here's a feeling I would like a character. And he kind of said, oh, I love this. And I would, here's what I think I would do with it. And a week later, he was having a meeting with John Wells. And he said, do you mind if I incorporate what you want to do with this other idea him and I kind of want to do? I think it would feed into this larger thing. And I don't mind at all as long as I'd be able to work on it or write on it or be in it. Or... So they had this meeting and they started down this line of developing this whole other show. And it included this kind of through line of this thing that I wanted to do and became this larger thing. And I think they pitched it for, pitched it for a couple weeks and there was not, they weren't finding it that they'd be able, I think now they'd be able to do it in a heartbeat. But at that time, they weren't getting the all clear that they would want. It was too much of like, well, could you change this? And could you, and neither of them, nope. So they just kind of dropped it. And shortly thereafter, John Wells contacted me and I said, I'm doing this thing called Shameless. I think, you know, after meeting you and hearing so much about you from Scott, I think you'd be really great for it. Would you like to do punch up on the pilot is what he first called about. And at that time I was really pregnant with my first kid and about to leave town to go have the kid. Um, Cause I think that 
being pregnant is really dirty and filthy and you need to leave town so no one sees you. Did you go up to, to um, where Jackson's family is? Yeah, up in Seattle. Which what we'll was Scott's last name? Sorry, I, go, I just want to jump back to the, the... Scott Frank. Scott Frank, okay. And he... Um, so yeah, so then I met with John about Shameless and I wasn't able to do the punch-up on the pilot, but after it got made and got picked up, I got a call again saying, we'll get, we're going, do you want to write on it? And at the time, I thought, yeah, you know, I think I do. I really, my goal when I went into the meeting was I really don't want to be writing something I'm not performing in. Mm-hmm. I really don't want to just, just write yet. I'm not ready to let go of performing wholly and I want to have an opportunity to perform. And he said, I think that we might be able to find you know, some opportunity within the show for you to do that. And yeah, because you were in an episode. Yeah, I was in an episode of the first season, and right now I've ri- I've conveniently written myself into my episode. We'll see if it stays. Um, yeah, we had the character in a lot of the episodes, and I ended up getting cut, not for any other reason other than things had to get cut. And that, that would always be kind me. of a superfluous... You know, she's not a family member. It, was, it wasn't a character that was completely necessary to any story, so it... It's always the first to go. If I've been cut from every role, even as a girlfriend. See, that's at least you're consistent. Yes, that's right. It's become a role in and of itself. You're consistent. <laughs> now, d- does it feel also validating to sort of because you're in this movie, Ted? Is it? But I was going to say, is it validating to do something that doesn't uh, stem from the uh, uh, McFarlane umbrella? You know, the coolest thing that the coolest project I've ever gotten to work on that felt like. Um, it felt like it was just kind of like, the, I got this. This is my own thing. Not that you, well, all those things don't count, but Good Night and Good Luck was that movie that um, George Clooney directed. Phenomenal. And that was like a really cool, really different thing. It was such a departure. And um, I was just really proud to get to be a part of something that cool. And I mean, other things were, every every project has had something amazing you know, the Lizzie McGuire movie was the first thing I got to do. And I got to go to Italy to shoot it. And that oh, was, wow. like, huge. That was like, I've arrived. I'm going abroad to shoot a film. And, uh, you know, then Catwoman with Halle Berry was like, wow, these are these big, huge stars. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see what that's like in this huge budget thing that's ridiculous. Yeah. And, and then Good Night and Good Luck was this neat. Well, and it's a serious film. I mean, so it was... Each project's been so cool in that way that it's done all these, you know, it's hit like a, a, a different thing that I never thought I'd get to do. Are there any things that you still want to do that you haven't? Porn. Yeah. Want to... Uh, Mom porn. Have a lot of unprotected sex on camera. Nice. Um, yeah, you know, I'm developing a couple things right now that, a couple TV things that would be really fun. I don't, I don't know that I could ever go back from cable now. Huh. Working on Shameless is just so wonderfully freeing, getting to... Even coming from Family Guy, where you do have a lot of liberty because it's an animated show, so you can, you know, say things that you wouldn't if it was live action. Yeah, I mean, of course, it's... Look, if, if someone's like, here's your own show on Fox, of course you can make that work and find something amazing and... Because of the financials? Yeah, and because just a huge opportunity, and you can still be funny... Yes. ...without being filthy, but... It's not so much the filth I like about what I can do on Shameless. It's the darkness mm-hmm. and how on in one scene you can just be really dark and serious and tragic and then also have a really funny gag. I love it. I like I really like the mix of it and I've I've learned that I'm kind of sappy. Like I like some of the the sweet sappy moments and buying it back and it's also called life. I mean, I think that one thing about being in the comedy world is everything's funny, 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 but there's no depth necessarily to right. it. So yes. the sat what you're calling sappy is just being a regular person who enjoys moments of happiness. Yeah, I kind of like um, on Shameless. I've written a lot of the episodes where the mom comes back who has abandoned the family, and there's always like some really heavy stuff in it, and I've always kind of been surprised at like. I really enjoy writing this stuff. I never thought I would, but... Now, I'm, like, chomping at the bit to break in, but I have to say I just admire how you balance all these things. How the hell do you balance all this stuff? Well, it's not... It, it's, um... There's also lots of downtime. You know, there's... Shameless is 13... 12 episodes a season, and we started writing in April, and now it's 
June. We'll be done probably in August. And then the show starts shooting this next week, but it won't air until January. So there's a lot of downtime. We'll wrap. I'll be done by September mm-hmm. and then not do a thing for Shameless if, it, if it's coming back until next April. So it's, you know, you have these big chunks of time where it's, okay, now I want to focus on this other development that I'm doing and work on that or finish this feature or... When you made enough money to retire, did it change you or do you just not think about it and you're like, you know what, I'm an artist, I've always been an artist and I just want to keep working. Did making the money change things for you? The same gene that I have of my grandmother's that was like, get out of line and survive the Holocaust is also like, you will never have enough money. The war is coming. You always have to save for the winter. Like, I'm so, I'm so careful and so paranoid about, I'm so lucky. Family Guy, knock on wood, has yes, been right. this amazing opportunity financially, especially to be comfortable and know I have this show that's continuing. Most people don't know a show's going to go yes. on. And Family Guy, I think Seth could take it as long as he wants, really. And not that he necessarily will, but... I, I have so much stability that people normally don't have in this. So I don't take it for granted and I save a lot and I try to be really careful. I have a lot of stupid excesses that I enjoy too. But, but what are those? Well, I like to live vicariously. You know, we travel a lot. We really like to just say, let's go. Let's stay at this place. Let's fly, nice. you know, upper class so that, you know, my giant ass can fit on a seat comfortably. Let's... I have this image of you guys on top of the plane. Yes. When you said upper class. It's like how people in India ride an elephant. <laughs> they set this whole golden thing up on top of the plane. Does making awesome. more money in the relationship, being being more of a breadwinner because your work is more consistent, does that change the dynamics in the relationship? No. You know, we both... It sounds... It's, it's so much like just busboys all pulling you pull from the same tips at the end of the night yes like, absolutely. that's just what it feels like we, we both earn what we earn and it all it goes into the pot and then we both spend it and enjoy it and it's nice to have such a real partnership that's just how it works and it ebbs and flows if family guy hadn't happened it was canceled yes if it hadn't have been Almost brought twice, back right? who knows what you know at one point when we were both in acme comedy theater we started a Jackson used to do graphic design as his day job. And we started a little advertising company together called Elmo Creative. We had like two clients. Did you know that that name was already taken? Elmo Creative? Well, Elmo. Well, Elmo, yeah. <laughs> it's a name. You can't hold it. Um, I forgot about that. It is a name. It's a name. Elmo Creative. And we um, Elmo we had like two clients and we, we designed stationery for people. We did business cards we did menu design for a couple little stores and we always thought okay if everything else dries up we'll go back to that we'll do that together we'll so we've always just kind of felt like whatever it takes we'll just you know make what we make and are you excited to have another kid i mean i feel like it's going to change yeah it's going to fuck things up tremendously i'm sure um i am excited you know i'm Everyone was shocked when we said we were having a second one because all we do is complain about the first one. Who is adorable? But they're awful. Children are awful people. They're awful. So it's a little crazy to choose to bring a second one into your life. I think what you're saying, though, is that children are no more awful than adults. They're awful people. No, they're a little worse because they're just completely uninhibited. They don't self-edit. And they don't care how they make anyone else feel. Isn't that what you're saying your mother encouraged in you a little bit? I guess so. I'm just being punished now. <laughs> I've got another one with a gene. So wait, what's something that you really, really want to do that you uh, haven't yet? You mentioned the projects you're working on. Can you talk about those a little bit? Well, it's just I'd like to be, I'd like to probably have a more prominent role in something that is on cable where I get to be a little dark. Mm-hmm. Still funny, but a little dark and... Um, get to place a, a lot of those things I've grown to learn that I really like writing to get to play, perform some of that myself that are, you know, can turn on a dime and be tragic and, and also really funny. And, um, I also, uh, just started a uh, Twitter feed that I've never 
ventured into Twitter before. So, do you want to tell everyone what your Twitter feed is? My Twitter handle, <laughs> as the kids call it, let's see, the name's Alex Borstein, but then it's at my celeb pregnancy. Spell but you, pregnancy. Yeah, you can't you can't write pregnancy out because there's too many letters. So it's actually my celeb pregnancy, P R G N A N C Y. But you can just look up Alex Borstein, you'll find it. I thought it was also nice on your website that you offered tips to people who want to break in. Um, so if you are looking to break in, I, I felt that was very generous of you to offer advice about how to do that. It came from so many emails asking the same questions. I thought, why don't I just address this and then I don't have to talk to these fucking assholes. That, I was also going to ask you about having like a fan forum page. Like, do you have to manage that? Um, I don't really have to do much. There's a guy who started the website for me and I just kind of pop on now and then and talk to people and, and share news and and I've gone through phases where I've been so lax and so bad about remembering to go on. Um, but it's cool. There's like a core group of people that are kind of always there and kind of waiting, which is really nice. And then we have, we have the latest short that we made that I'm so proud. We made it the very early stages of this pregnancy, some of it, um, called um, BrendaTheMovie.com. Oh, yes. Which uh, it's really my it's my proudest achievement. All right, well, I think then we can end this interview now with Brenda. www.brendathemovie.com. Okay, because that's your proudest achievement, not your children. Nope. That's good to know. Nope, Brenda's my baby. Um, it was such a dream come true to have you on. I'm so happy to give you the Employee of the Month Award. Thank you for giving it to me, and now can we go enjoy some pizza? Yes, because guess who's coming to dinner? Chris Sheridan. That's it for this episode of Employee of the Month. I'm your host, Katie Lazarus. Thank you so much for tuning in. You can go to employeeofthemonthshow.com and that will take you to SoundCloud where you can download individual episodes or you can subscribe to the entire series for free on iTunes. Highly recommended. I want to give a very special thanks to Todd Rosenberg, Ian Mazoff, Damian Strange, Audible, and UCB Theater for making this possible and most especially to you listening. I really, really appreciate it. Um, that's it. Thanks so much. Okay, have a wonderful day. Eat lots of vegetables and make sure to get some exercise for both of us. Okay, bye.